We inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome to The Core here on American Family Radio. I'm your host, Walker Wildman. Good to be with you today on the show, a brand new week of The Core. We got several uh, special guests lined up for the week. We're going to have Steve Tiber with Eight Days of Hope on next segment to talk about an upcoming trip that they're planning uh, for a part of Louisiana. So we'll talk with Steve, a good friend of the ministry and president and founder of Eight Days of Hope. We'll talk to him about the work they have planned in Laplace, Louisiana in the coming weeks and uh, the rebuilding efforts there some uh, three years later, I believe. Roughly three years later, uh, time flies. Um, I would say time flies when you're having fun. That's the saying. But in this scenario, um, time had just, has just moved so fast from the tragedy of that hurricane down there. Uh, so Eight Days of Hope is planning a trip, uh, to a rebuilding trip is what they're going to do. And so we'll talk to Steve about that, get the, get the rundown on that trip, and maybe how you can either volunteer or donate. That's what we'll talk with Steve Tabber about next segment. Before we jump into the news of the week, which it is a busy news week, I want to turn our attention to Scripture. Uh, Chapter 7 is our focus this week, Psalm chapter 7, and I've pulled out uh, two verses that I want us to highlight for the week, and that is verse 10 and 11. This is a Psalm of David. We're continuing the Psalms of David. Uh, He says, My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. And so our shield is with God. And if you notice all of David's writings here, over the past few weeks we've been studying uh, the book of Psalms, uh, David always places judgment into the hands of God. David doesn't write about his judgment of his enemies or how uh, he feels necessarily about his enemies, but David's focus is, is about God judging his enemies and God judging uh, the enemies of God's people. And so I think that needs to be our focus as well. Uh, We don't need to be so consumed with our enemies that we're focused on what we're going to do, how we're going to respond to our enemies, but we need to put the handling of our enemies into the hands of God and let him address it, let him handle it. And, uh, you know, some injustices will not be remedied until uh, final judgment. I mean, we have to, as the body of Christ, we have to accept that not all injustices will be remedied in the timing that we think is appropriate. And, uh, you know, uh, the goal of government the reason God set up an instituted government was that so so government would punish evildoers, that government would uphold a righteous standard, a biblical standard. That's why God set up government. And in America, we actually know some sense of justice. You know, uh, when you commit a crime, when you do someone, uh, when you wrong someone from a legal standpoint, 
there are uh, there's a justice system and there are legal remedies, and in most scenarios, the justice system carries out uh, justice. It carries out things in a right manner, not always, but most of the time. And so here in America, we experience what it's like for justice to be served, but that's not the case all over the world, and that's definitely not the case throughout human history. There are countless examples, probably actually the majority of the world lives under and has lived under uh, countless injustices. And uh, so so as, as the body of Christ, we need to look towards God for bringing about justice to our enemies. So that's what we can learn from Psalm chapter 7 today. Jumping into some of the stories, you know, I cover hypocrisy all the time, and I try not to be a hypocrite myself. And um, I came across this, uh, well, I came across this story. I'm going to I'm gonna go out of order here than what I planned, but we're going to go to Virginia here for a few minutes, uh, this segment, to talk about a lawsuit in the state of Virginia against the new governor, Glenn Youngkin. You know, um, good people get in charge, and what do they do? They face attack after attack. Uh, we saw this with Donald Trump when he became president. We're seeing this now with Glenn Youngkin. He gets sworn in. He brings a message of unity and healing to the inauguration, gets in, in power in the governor's mansion in Virginia, and he one of the first things he did was he signed an executive order allowing parents to decide if their kids wear a mask in schools. What a great idea. We should all be in favor of that. No, no, no. Some of the school boards, they just didn't like it. And so they sue Governor Glenn Youngkin. I mean, since when have Americans been opposed to parents making decisions for their children? Since when have we been opposed to putting authority in the hands of parents? Like parental authority. That's a, that's a basic thing that usually, typically in, in, in normal America, people agree on. But here we are, 2022, and there are just some people in this country that think the superintendent or the teacher or the professor... They just know more. They're just more wise than the parent. And so parents, you just, you know, mind your own business, go to work, let us take care of this whole, you know, uh, adulting thing, this whole parenting thing, and, uh, and and butt out. So that's been the message to parents in Virginia. That's why Glenn Youngkin won. And so he signs this order. Governor Glenn Youngkin signs this order, an executive order, making it to where parents have the final say as to whether their children have to wear a face mask for seven to eight hours a day. And he immediately faces legal challenges. So he has about seven or eight school districts that immediately sued him, these school boards. One of them was Fairfax County Public Schools. Listen to this quote, and then I'm going to break this down. I actually am going somewhere with this. This is a Fairfax County Public School Superintendent Scott Brabard. Here is his response to the governor's executive order and then Fairfax County suing the governor. Quote, it is imperative that decisions about education and school safety are made locally in order to champion the best interest of our students and community. End quote. Well, that just sounds... Great. How virtuous. Well, 
the same superintendent has just told parents that they can take a hike on having a say about whether their children have to wear a mask all day. And so you can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. You can't say local control is the best control, which I completely agree with. But then you say, but parents, no, 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 you can't, you can't have a say. It, it's the school boards, you know, it's the people with the PhDs. We're the ones who have a say. Parents, you don't have a say. No, either, either local control is the best control, and that includes the household, that includes the parents, or you want to get your, your orders from the governor's mansion. Which one is it? You can't have both. And so let's flashback, talk about hypocrisy. Let's flashback a little bit. Let's just go back, I don't know, 2021. Get this article. This is from NBC 12. It's a local Virginia outlet, a local uh, NBC Virginia outlet. Yeah, out of Richmond. Exactly. Bobby's from Virginia. Uh, WWBT. Listen to this. Governor Ralph Northam announced a public health emergency order on Thursday to require universal masking in all Virginia K-12 schools. A release from Northam's office states the order reinforces state law that requires schools to adhere to mitigation strategies from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. All right, so a couple of things here. The, the glaring thing is that Governor Northam did an order from the governor's mansion or from the state capitol saying that everybody's got to wear a mask. All right, so this is an edict from the governor's mansion that everybody's got to wear a mask. All right, so forget local control. Forget school boards having a say. Forget superintendents having a say. Our principals having a say. Our dare parents have a say. Where was Fairfax County superintendent when the when the governor was mandating masks and pulling control out of local school districts? Well, they were nowhere to be found. You want to know why? Because they agreed with the edict. So this is not about some moral standard of we need local control, you know, let's go back to the founding fathers and the way they designed it. No, no, no. They only use that play when it works. And so this is this is a front that is being put on by Fairfax County Public Schools. It's also being put on by school boards in Alexandria, Richmond, Hampton, Falls Church, Arlington County, and Prince William County. They all joined this suit against the new governor saying local control is the best control. Well, where were they when Northam was doing all the edicts uh, from the governor's mansion? Well, they were nowhere to be found. They were nowhere to be found because they liked the edicts. They agreed with the edicts. They think we should all wear cloth masks for seven to eight hours a day so we can't breathe and we can't talk. And when we go to speech class, we sure don't know what our speech therapist is saying. I covered that story last week um, out of, I think it was Oregon or Washington. So, um, this is all hypocritical. We all know that. We see that. Um, but we can't let these people get away with this. We can't let these people get away with this. I agree that local control is the best control. And what do I mean by local control? I mean parents. How about we just let parents have a say as to how their kids dress when they go to school, as to how their kids, whether or not they have to wear a mask when they go to school. And there's, uh, by the way, there's, there's tons of evidence that these masks, not only are they useless against preventing the transmission of COVID, but they're also harmful for, for children and their development. And we, we covered the story uh, last week about how uh, a, 
a Florida speech therapist clinic was seeing a 300% uptick in referrals for children who have speech impediments and children are having trouble developing their speech. Well, why is that, Walker? Well, because they're wearing a mask all day. They're wearing a mask all day. And they can't see their teacher's mouth and they can't see their peers and their mouth moving to uh, help understand how they should talk. Uh, So this is a major problem. But, you know, let's just say theoretically, let's just say theoretically that the masks do work, okay? Because you can probably pull out some CDC-funded study uh, that says that the masks work. Maybe, sometimes, partially, depending on how you wear it, depending on what mask you wear. But that still, to me, is not justification for wearing these things all the time. That is still not justification for wearing masks for eight hours a day. We're talking about children here, children who are at extremely low risk of having severe issues with COVID. And the, the reason that we, we just, we, we've got to set these, these goals, these standards, is because if you accept that we should go all crazy on COVID with the kids, then you can say that with the average cold. Why? Because COVID is now acting like your normal cold. You know, where you get the sniffles, you get a sore throat, uh, you might, your body might feel off for a couple of days. I mean, we had a caller last week said, you know, oh, my body ached for five days. Well, that sounds like the flu. And we're not masking up entire populations over the flu, are we? No. No, we're not. Uh, so we shouldn't go overboard with the children um, because older people are at risk. And we're talking about a school setting, so we gotta be we gotta be logical here. We have to be factual. And when you put all the data together, and you put all the studies together, and you put the real life implications of these masks together, it's terrible for kids. Absolutely terrible for children. So good for the governor, Glenn Youngkin, there in Virginia, actually having a little backbone. And uh, shame on the school boards who for are for local control. Except for the parents. They don't have a say. (laughs) Shame on them. Parents, parental authority is of utmost importance in this country, and it should be defended at all costs. We'll be back in a few minutes on the court. So Aaron took it as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly. And behold, the plague had already begun among the people. And he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living. And the plague was stopped. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Often when the concept of intercession is raised, we normally think about prayer. And we should. Prayer is one form of intercession. Here we see another, living intercession. At the climax of a plague, Aaron runs into the fray, armed with incense, and where he stands, the plague stops. Aaron literally stands between the living and the dead. May God move us to be living intercessors for our day, and where we take our stand in Christ, the plague stops. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. 
This is Raising Godly Girls Minute with Patty Garibay of American Heritage Girls. We all know that there are five love languages, words of affirmation, quality time, tangible gifts, physical touch, and acts of service. These are the ways we as humans express and receive love best. While we all have our top love language, we can appreciate all five in some regard. Adolescence is hard for every person, but girls especially seem to struggle with self-doubt during these years. Set your daughter on a course towards self-love by creating an affirmation archive. Choose an event like her birthday, the anniversary of her baptism, or even a random day each year to share words of affirmation with her in a tangible way. She can look back on your words as a source of comfort and confidence in who God made her to be. We are all called to raise up the next generation of Christian leaders. You can learn more about empowering girls through the love of God at RaisingGodlyGirls.com. Have you heard about the new Bible Museum in Washington, D.C.? Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. I guess it's been open two or three years now, maybe a little longer, but it's one of the premier sites on our trip to Washington, D.C., our spiritual heritage tour in June and September, where we visit the Bible Museum and all the other sites that you are familiar with in Washington, D.C., including George Washington's Mount Vernon estate. We're also going to go on a separate trip to Williamsburg, Jamestown, and Yorktown. Those tours are back-to-back. If you want to go with us, we're going in June and September. We'd love to have you. Go to the website, spiritualheritagetours.com. Stephen McDowell, my dear friend, will be joining us. He's a historian and president of the Providence Foundation, and he's going to make our trip so much richer by adding commentary and telling us the stories of the people, places, and times. SpiritualHeritageTours.com AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to the Core on American Family Radio. You know, at the beginning of last segment, I said three years since Hurricane Ida hit Louisiana. That was way off. I uh, must have been getting my numbers from the CDC, but uh, <laughs> Ida hit, uh, made landfall in August of 2021, so it hit last year, and uh, that's what we want to talk to our good friend Steve Tiber about. Steve, uh, welcome back to the Corps. Hey, brother. How are you? Doing well. I would introduce you, but all of our listeners know who you are, President, Founder of Eight Days of Hope. <laughs> Uh, tell us what your latest announcement is when it comes to uh, a rebuilding project. You know, it's been about three years. Uh, first, because of just logistics, and then the last 18 months, you know, just trying to find partners as we navigate through uh, the challenges of the country. But on Friday, we announced um, on American Family Radio um, that we are, are go- going to have our 17th rebuilding trip in Laplace, Louisiana, from April 9th to April 16th. Um, Our last rebuilding trip, Walker, was in Houston when we took 4,600 volunteers. We went for two eight-day trips back-to-back like a baseball doubleheader and rebuilt 808 homes. So, um, yeah, we announced Friday. uh, It's April 9th to the 16th. It's it's Holy Week. It's the week of celebrating Mm -hmm. Easter, uh, the day after we we actually leave. But our goal is to take 2,000, 3,000 people and over a span of eight days, help 150 families rebuild their homes for free, sharing Jesus, being the hands and feet, and just loving people and serving people who are in need. So 
we're really excited. It's been about three years. And I mean, we keep doing ministry. You know, we just left Mayfield, Kentucky with the tornado uh, families up there we were serving. But really excited for this rebuilding trip. Well, Steve, the rebuilding is is a whole different animal. And this is just me looking in at what you guys do. I have been to a couple of your trips. But, you know, it's one thing to go in, which you guys do. You go in uh, uh, through your rapid response team and you provide immediate relief, uh, uh, immediate essentials. But the rebuilding, Steve, um, takes specialty, special skills. And I know you have you have roles for everyone. But tell us a little bit about this whole rebuilding because it's you talk about 150 homes in uh, April 9th through April 16th, 150 homes, rebuilding them, not just tarping them, rebuilding them. Tell our listeners what that looks like on the ground. Yeah, you know, Walker, the first 12 years, that's all we did, Eight Days of Hope. Since then, of course, we've expanded other arms. But yeah, there's a lot of logistics. We have roughly 180 volunteer leaders, and they're going to spend the next 90 days preparing for the volunteers. We'll pick you up at the airport. So if you fly to New Orleans, the Louis Armstrong Airport will pick you up. We provide a safe place for you to sleep. We feed you really good. Every morning, every night, we start and end the day with worship and devotion. The families we're serving, we bring them back. Uh, at night to kind of celebrate what, what God is is doing or was mm. doing that day. But, you know, the materials, we're already starting to buy the materials next week because of some of the issues with um, supply issues around the country. Uh, but we're really excited. You know, 150 permits are going to be pulled. Uh, materials going to be delivered after we do our measurements. And then we find a skilled professional or someone who's very good with their hands to oversee the volunteers at each site. So, you know, it's not uncommon for us to be putting a roof on a, on a home um, that needs a brand new roof while we're inside doing wiring or, or doing painting outside because the weather's cooperating. So we tell people, if you can make sandwiches, if you can carry a bundle of shingles, if you know how to do plumbing or electrical or like to paint, we need you. But, but you don't have to be a skilled person. Um, less skilled like me, we're invited as well. So we're excited for April to see what God does. Hey Amen. There's a place for everybody. And when you show up, uh, when I've shown up to a couple of these trips, there's truly something for everyone to do. I mean, there's tons <laughs> to do because not not only are you rebuilding homes, but then to your point about back at, at base, whatever church you're set up at, there's feeding that has to be done. There's laundry that has to be done. There's just general upkeep to try to keep the church that you're hosting at, try to keep it up, you know, so you don't upset the church. So there, there's truly is, Steve, a, a place for everyone. You know, we're excited, too. You know, we have a laundry trailer that was in uh, Mayfield, Kentucky, for four weeks during the holidays. The families that lost just about everything with the tornado, some of them were able to salvage clothes, and they had no place to, to do their laundry. So, again, if you're listening today and, and you you um, you enjoy doing laundry, I mean, I know you're out there because uh, I, you might call me call me a little bit off, Walker, but I, I like doing laundry. I really do. Uh, but, you know, if you want to come do laundry, make sandwiches, and, again, we are still looking for people that know how to put flooring down, carpentry work, uh, that are, are not afraid to get on the roof with a 512 pitch, which is not very steep. We get up there and carry some shingles and nail some down. All the information's on our website. Go to 8daysofhope.com, spell out the number 8, 8daysofhope.com, and just click on the FAQs, Frequently Asked Questions. Everything from how to sign up, what if you want to bring your, you know, uh, someone under 18 that's not your child, you want to bring a youth group, all that information is there. Uh, but boy, you know, this is a perfect time, Walker, for the church to shine. Mm, Our yes. country, we fight over everything these days. 
And, and, and this is one common thing that we can all agree on. These families need help. They need hope. They need to see joy. They need to see love in action. The greatest sermon I ever heard is the one I saw. People need to see Jesus in Laplace, Louisiana, in April, 8daysofhope.com, for all the information. All right, Steve, before I let you go, uh, update our listeners on where you are with some of your, uh, one of your newest arms, and that is the safe houses. Tell us, uh, give us the latest of where you are there. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Walker, for asking. You know, two years ago, we started a new arm where we partner with a ministry, and we build, sometimes from the ground out, or renovate a facility that can be used to house those who've been rescued from sex trafficking, children, adults. Um, you know, we've now completed eight facilities just about two months ago. We were in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, finishing a facility there. About three, four months ago, we were in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, um, helping out a, a ministry called Call to Freedom. Twelve apartments, two and three bedroom apartments where women who are rescued, they get counseling, uh, they get help for their emotional, physical, spiritual needs, and then they're reunited with their children. It's a very unique facility. So, yes, here's an update. Uh, we think, um, well, not think, we believe that in May we'll be in Texas uh, doing a facility there mm-hmm. for a ministry called The Refuge. We're looking at a ministry in Tennessee for either uh, June or July or August. We're, you know, kind of flexible there. And then this fall, we are going to be building a facility from the ground up, a $4.5 million facility in the state of Ohio. Uh, we'll be sharing more details down the road. So a lot going on with the state. If you're skilled, if, if, you're, if you're gifted, maybe you're a contractor, you're a handyman, handywoman, email us at safehouse at 8daysofhope.com. Say you heard about it in American Family Radio, and we'll invite you to our next trip, safehouse at 8daysofhope.com. We plan on doing four this year. So very busy, both with human disasters, uh, those who've been rescued from sex trafficking to help them restart their lives, and natural disasters with Hurricane Ida. All right, Steve. God bless you, brother. We'll have you back on, uh, hopefully, before you go to Louisiana. But if not, we'll have you on during the Louisiana trip so you can provide us an update. Hey, thanks, Walker. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you, AFR. We appreciate your support so much. Amen. Thank you, Steve. God bless you, brother. Take care. All right. 8daysofhope.com is that URL. We've posted it as well on the podcast page at AFR.net. If you want to catch it later after the show, you can go to AFA at the Core. Today's show on AFR.net, AFA at the Core and uh, click through there to uh, get to 8 Days of Hope website. Jumping uh, back into some of the news of the week, you know, one of the things that happened this weekend was a a march in Washington, D.C., led by several doctors, dozens of doctors, actually. I know America's Frontline doctors, they were there. Uh, Dr. Robert Malone was there. Several uh, major leaders in the movement against mandates. Uh, they were all there in our nation's capital marching. And I want to play a clip here. This is a a story that I actually covered on the show. A biker, professional mountain biker by the name of Kyle Warner. I covered his story a little while back. I actually played an audio clip of him talking about his story. But he was injured by the shot. And he really got, he was really given a hard time by the public over him uh, voicing his concerns over the shot and how he was harmed. But this is him at the uh, March Against Mandates this past weekend in Washington, D.C. Let's listen to clip five. This is Kyle Warner. 
Since September, our little group of 5,000 injured people has grown to more than 12,500. Each one of my friends behind me represents more than 1,000 others in REACT 19 who have been injured by the COVID vaccines and could not be here today. This is real. People are being harmed. People are losing their livelihoods and in some cases their lives while the government and companies like Pfizer sit by and watch. Not only are our calls for help being ignored, we are actively being censored and discredited by mainstream media. We are not conspiracy theorists and anti-vaxxers. We are Americans, just like you, from every different background possible. Yet we are united by one thing. We were asked to do our part by our country and then cast aside in the name of profit. Whether it's polluting our water, poisoning our food, or putting carcinogens in our homes, we know corporations cannot be trusted blindly. Yet here we are. Our government is failing us again. The fact is that private corporations are making billions of dollars conducting clinical trials on us at our expense. It is completely unacceptable. Today, I issue a challenge to President Joe Biden, Dr. Anthony Fauci, and CDC Director Rochelle Walensky. I challenge you to set up a meeting and talk to this group. Look them in their eyes. Acknowledge their suffering. Admit this is real, not just rare. If they won't talk to us, maybe Joe Rogan will. <laughs> or maybe AFA at the core will. Actually, we already have. We've talked to Michael from the East Coast, who was healthy, 60-year-old, uh, going to the gym three to four days a week, uh, no underlying conditions. All of a sudden, he gets a shot and has uh, heart issues, and he was diagnosed with perio pariocarditis uh, from the COVID-19 shot. Talked to him back a little while ago. And then last week we talked to Diane, who her mother from Arkansas, her 84-year-old mother, Diane's mother, was injured by the shot. So uh, we are telling people's story here on the show. And, you know, the main the main underlying <clears throat> position here that you would think would be non-controversial would be not forcing people against their will to do something. You would think that that would be something where everybody in America goes, yeah, I agree with that. We shouldn't tell people that they're going to be fired and they're not going to be able to pay their bills if they don't participate in the clinical trial, in the experiment, as the biker there, Kyle Warner, said. And that's what it truly is. That's what it truly is. You know, from a legal and a medical standpoint, Half of our country is acting as if these shots have been on the market for 15 or 20 years when they haven't, when they haven't. They haven't even been on the market for like 20 months, much less 20 years. And so, you know, we're, a lot of people lump this in with all the rest of the shots. Well, didn't you get your smallpox or didn't you get your hep B? And they go through all these shots that have been on the market for like 40 or 50 years. And they were studied for decades before they were ever even released to the public. And there was extreme hesitancy in launching shots onto the market when there, were when there was evidence of adverse reactions.
I think the the status quo, the standard before the last two years before everybody lost their mind, the standard by the CDC and others was if there were 25 deaths from a shot in the whole country, then the clinical trial and the uh, the shot protocol, uh, every, the whole campaign gets put on pause until the CDC, the FDA, and others are able to investigate and figure out what's going on. Well, now we're at tens of thousands of deaths, according to the VAERS report, and uh, the Biden administration and others, they're just carrying on as if there's nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. Uh, but back to what I said about the mandates, you know, that's where we, that, that's where everybody should agree. But that's where there's the most disagreement. You know, everybody should, should agree that we shouldn't tell somebody that, hey, you're going to be fired tomorrow if you don't let me put this in your body. Like, let me jab, jab this in your body or you're fired. That's never been acceptable, especially during clinical trials. And Dr. Robert Malone, the inventor of this technology, this mRNA technology, I played his clip last week, and he said over and over again that this is illegal. Forcing people to participate in an experimental trial is illegal. Like, this is so bad, so unacceptable, and it's against every single medical and scientific norm throughout human history uh, but here we are as a society embracing this in mass, and it's not good for the country. Because right now you may go, well, uh, I'm I'm scared of COVID, and and I agree with the mandates. Well, what happens when it's something you don't agree with? And then everybody else is like, yeah, you better do it. You got to do it. You have to do it. Mandate, mandate, mandate. And then you're the person saying, whoa, 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 everybody hold up here then you might actually understand where we are as a country. But we need to stop this now. We don't need to let it get to that point where we're five, ten years down the road and it's just commonplace to tell people that you can't participate in society unless you do exactly what we tell you to. And that means taking a shot that you may not even need or it may cause you harm. That should not be commonplace in America. So no more mandates. That's what the group in Washington, D.C. was fighting for. No more mandates, period. We'll be back in a few minutes. They should face some sort of consequences. At the very least, what you put on there should be true. And if it's not true, then it should be actionable. Major social media outlets are finding ways to block the conservative evangelical viewpoint. The American Family Association will no longer be canceled. Announcing AFA Streaming, our own video streaming platform, which will allow access to all AFA video content. AFA Streaming is now available. Learn more at AFA.net. American Family Studios was started back in 2011 as a way to advance the Christian worldview into an increasingly media-rich culture. Media is like such a powerful tool to communicate the gospel. I love writing stories, getting in my office, and just thinking, how can we portray this concept of who God's character is? And to get to use the gifts that God has given me is really a joy. 
AmericanFamilyStudios.net. Here's some great news. If you missed the deadline to sign up for health insurance, or if like a lot of people, you just have a plan you're not happy with, you still have a choice. It's called MediShare. It's a Christian healthcare sharing program. There are more than 400,000 members now, and they love it. In fact, MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to that of health insurance. And MediShare really is the gold standard when it comes to healthcare sharing. It's been around more than 25 years. Members have shared more than $4 billion of each other's medical bills. Plus, MediShare is for you. It has saved its members billions by advocating on their behalf. Best of all, the typical savings for a family is around $6,000 a year. So if you think you're stuck with a high-cost health plan that doesn't have much to offer, think again. MediShare has a 98% customer satisfaction rating, and you are invited to be part of it. Call now. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. This time of year, many people make resolutions, but unfortunately, they just don't stick. Franklin Graham. Let me tell you about a decision that you can make today that can change your life, not just for this year, but for eternity. You see, God gave his son, Jesus Christ, to take our sins. And he died on a cross and he shed his blood for our sins. And he was buried and on the third day, God raised him to life. If you're willing to trust Jesus, he will change your life, not just for this year, but for eternity. Just pray this prayer with me. Just say, God, I've sinned. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I believe that Jesus is your son. I want to trust him as my savior. And I'm willing to follow him as my Lord from this day forward forever. Amen. Someone is ready to talk with you right now about a relationship with Jesus Christ or simply pray with you. Call 888-388-2683. That's 888-388-2683. God bless you and a happy new year to each and every one. We're the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to the Core here on American Family Radio. There's a clip I want to play uh, out of Dartmouth College, Dartmouth University, that I haven't gotten to in recent weeks, but I've had it on the rundown, and I'm going to actually touch on the Ukraine uh, saga here in a few minutes. But before I do that, I want to get to this clip because this is a a lady by the name of Joni McGarry, McGarry, and she is um, part of a group that is against uh, these shot mandates on college campuses. So she's working with parents uh, to push back on these uh, young uh, adults being forced to take these experimental shots in order to attend college campus uh, course work. And so she was on the Ingram Angle talking about how uh, Dartmouth is actually um, trying to force young adults, uh, college students, to get the booster. Yes, you heard me right, in order to continue enrollment in Dartmouth University. So let's listen to clip one. This is Joni McGarry on the Laura Ingram Angle. Number one. It's anti-science to mandate the boosters right now, knowing what Omicron is. But I don't think they can bring themselves to say that it's not necessary because then the whole house of cards falls, does it not? Because the vaccination mandate itself doesn't make sense, correct? Real quick. 
Well, that may be true. And even if that weren't the case, I don't understand why they're not walking it back, given the very real risk of myocarditis in the young male group from 16 to 24, which is the college population. They have a four to five times greater risk of getting myocarditis from vaccination per an Oxford study that came out in December than they do from having COVID illness. So my question is, why are these mandates still being forced upon these students? So, not Walker Wildman saying it, but she just cited an Oxford University study. And she also went on to say that people of this younger age group, college age, the young men specifically, they are more likely to get myocarditis than they are to have a severe case of COVID. Yes, you heard that right. They're more likely to have myocarditis is a result of the shot than they are to have a severe reaction, a severe case of COVID. And that's not from me. That's from Oxford University. And that was Joni McGarry on the Ingram angle talking about that. And uh, we've, we've covered the, the studies. We've covered the examples. So that is a real thing. It is an issue. And it should be discussed in this entire uh, conversation. And that's why we're bringing it on the show uh, to Ukraine. You know, if there's something that's so urgent on the world stage, and especially to those of us in America, it's what's going on in Ukraine. Who cares about what's going on on our southern border? Who cares about what's going on in the halls of Congress? Who cares about what's going on in our local classrooms? Who cares what the school board's doing? I care about Ukraine. <laughs> that's the message we get from the political class and the warmongers out of Washington, D.C. And so that's what we're dealing with this week. And I'm not, you know, acting as if there's not a threat to Ukraine from Russia. There probably is, maybe. But we're also having to look through the lens of the media, which are often known to conflate things and to exaggerate things and to, you know, start drumming for war when there's not a war on the horizon. So that could be the case here as well, and I actually have information to back that up. I'm not just spitballing or pulling things out of my pocket. Uh, but the whole Ukraine situation is, you know, I just don't get it. I just don't get it. And, and I don't, you know, if you're a history buff, don't give me a call or an email saying, you know, here's why NATO's there and the Soviet Union and, and we've got to fight Russia. No, I know the, the long-term history of why NATO exists and the Soviet Union and Russian now Russian aggression and Putin and he's a bad guy and the KGB and, and Ukraine. I, I kind of know the, a general idea of what's going on over there, but it still doesn't make sense to me. And I told Bobby this morning on our, on our show call, I said, I haven't seen one person on national television that can, can sell me that we've got to be in Ukraine. We've got to be defending Ukraine. Like, there's nobody, not even Republicans, who address this issue where they, like, get me so worked up where I'm like, yeah, Marines, they've got to go to Kiev. Like, we've got to send warships to fight Russia. And, and, and if, if, if the guys who want war can't convince me that their ideas are right, they're good, we've got to be over there, we've got to fight Russia, uh, then, then there isn't really an important enough situation to where we need to send American troops over there. Now, I'm not saying that there's not things we can do to fight Russia, but 
my my concern is and my my position is that we don't need American blood being spilled eight to ten thousand miles away or whatever distance it is from here to Ukraine over Vladimir Putin and Ukraine. And I really don't even think we need to be sending arms and tanks and airplanes and warships over there. Like, let let the other 29 countries in the NATO alliance do that, like the ones that are right next door to Russia. Why America? And, 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 and one of the main reasons I feel this way is because of our own domestic issues. It's because of our own domestic issues. And here's the analogy I've used before, and I'll use it again. Imagine my household, Walker Wildman's household. Imagine I have a very dysfunctional household. Well, let's not go that route. Let's go the break-in route. All right, so let's imagine that I have a burglar breaking, like breaching my door at my home, and my family's in there, and we're all trying to sleep. Someone is, 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 is breaking glass, trying to breach my home, potentially harm my family, all right? So that... that that, that context exists. Then my neighbor, who is probably in need, let's say I have a widow neighbor, all right, that calls me and says, somebody's breaking into my house too. Can you come help me right now? All right? So here I am. I'm faced with this moral dilemma <laughs> uh, where my family is at risk. My home is at risk immediate risk, immediate threat, and my neighbor, who is also equally at risk, calls me and needs me to come help them. That's basically the situation we're at in America with the whole Ukraine and every and, and Afghanistan and every other foreign country that we meddle around in and we spend billions of dollars in. That, that is the dilemma we're in in America. We have abundant issues. We have excessive issues that threat, threaten American sovereignty, that threaten America's national security, that threaten the very future of America as we know it. And we are getting, we're getting worked up over Russia and Ukraine. And, and what's unfortunate is, like, I'm in the minority. Tucker Carlson's in the minority. All the people that raise these issues and these concerns are in the minority. Everybody else is like, yeah, let's go fight Russia. But if, if, if America would get, and the media, by the way, as well, if they would get just as worked up and just as serious about Chinese aggression, I mean, we could take out China as a, as a competing world power in years. But what are we doing? We're focused, we're focused on Vladimir Putin, the KGB, and Ukraine. Meanwhile, China, what are they doing? Well, they're buying American farmland. They are seizing control of critical supply chain functions. They are positioning themselves, if they haven't already. Some could argue they already have. They are positioning themselves to be able to tell America to do whatever they want us to do, and we will say, yes, sir. Why? Because our lives will depend on it. Quite literally, I'm not exaggerating. Pharmaceutical supply chain, agricultural supply chain, American farmland being bought by China. Uh, the Biden family, I've got the story on this for another day. 
the Biden family cutting extensive business deals with the Chinese Communist Party. So I can go on and on about our own domestic issues and why we don't need to distract ourselves fighting to defend Ukraine uh, when we have major, major, major national security issues on our front doorstep. And, and that's quite literal. Uh, so on this on this discussion, let's 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 listen to clip two. This is the Secretary of State Blinken on the Sunday shows talking about America's response to Russian aggression. Let's listen. If a single additional Russian force goes into Ukraine uh, in an aggressive way, uh, as I said, that would trigger uh, a swift, a severe, and a united response uh, from us uh, and from Europe. Uh, and again, there are other things that Russia could do uh, that fall short of actually sending uh, additional forces into Ukraine. Uh, and again, across the board, uh, we're prepared with Europe uh, for a swift uh, and calibrated uh, and very united response. We're looking at every single scenario, preparing for every single one. So that's uh, Blinken beating the war drums again uh, on, on behalf of the Biden administration. I wish they were that tough on Mexico. I wish they were that tough on Mexico allowing over a million illegal immigrants to invade our country every year. I mean, I wish Blinken would go on the Sunday shows and say, if one other, if one more foreign national touches American soil and crosses our border illegally, we will take swift action to stop it. But instead, I've got another clip I didn't even have time for today where Mayorkas, you know, the Department of Homeland Security secretary, says, you know, if you're here illegally, that's just not enough cause to deport you. So those of you who are here illegally and those of you who want to come, maybe this year or next year, go ahead and come. And as long as you don't break any other crimes other than the crime of invading our country and trespassing, um, other than that crime, you know, you should be good to go. As long as you don't commit any other crimes, you should be good to go. Uh, but back to Ukraine. So I've got this report out of um, out of Breitbart on the State Department announcing that it would withdraw, this is over the weekend, withdraw the families of, of staffers and encourage private American citizens in Ukraine to leave right now because of an alleged imminent threat of invasion of the country by Russia. So you read that and you go, man, the warships are coming. We're, we're, we're going to see war in 24 hours. All right. And this is why it's so important to read up from multiple sources on where you get your information from. So you go down in the article, and the Ukrainian government, this is the country that's allegedly going to be invaded imminently by Putin. The Ukrainian government actually refuted the State Department's overreaction, is what Ukraine called it. Listen to this. After the State Department said, "Get everybody get out, everybody get out, the Ukrainian government refuted Biden's bizarre comments. In a speech last week, President Zelensky of Ukraine assured his people that the risk of Russian invasion have existed for more than a year, and they haven't increased recently, contrary to Biden's comments. And so the president of Ukraine is saying, wait, now, Russia's been acting like this for over a year. This is not like new activity. So what's going on here? Why are we acting like this is a new and emergent threat? Uh, the president of Ukraine says that Putin's been doing this for over a year. 
when it comes to military uh, deployments near the Ukrainian border. But I go on in the article and I come across something else where I'm like, wow, I forgot about that. The risk of a full Russian invasion of Ukraine increased last year when Biden chose to lift sanctions on Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which will connect Russia to Germany and grant the Putin regime unfettered access to Western European natural gas market. And so what did Biden do? Probably this was actually one of the first things he did in office is he lifted the sanctions on Russia. All right, so Putin's the bad guy. Putin's taking over the world. Putin's about to invade Ukraine. What are we going to do? We're going to remove the sanctions. Remove the sanctions. And let's make Europe more reliant on Putin for their energy. Let's make uh, Europe and NATO more reliant, or part of it, some of NATO, more reliant on uh, Russia for their energy. Great idea. Absolutely great idea. <laughs> and so this is the context here. And that's why now we're like war with Russia, and it's just not adding up. I mean, it's just not adding up. And I, I read a story also this morning where you, Ukraine, is, is, is their leadership is actually very upset at the Biden administration. Why? Because they haven't used sanctions enough. That's what Ukraine is saying. The president of Ukraine is saying, hey, look, the U.S. has all these tools in their pocket to fight Putin other than military force. And they're not using any of them. No sanctions. No no non-lethal force against Putin. They pulled all that back. And then now we're talking about going to war. Usually you use all of your economic and other tactics before you get to war. But the Biden administration, they're bypassing all of that, going straight to the war drums. It's a bad idea. It's a distraction, in my opinion, of the horrific domestic policies of the Biden administration. That's what this is all about, to distract the American electorate from what's going on in our homeland, which is a disaster. See you next time. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.